This is Lego Football. The final piece of the Serie B puzzle has been put in place. We'll take a look at that Serie G playoff final. We're joined by Football Italia's Giancarlo Rinaldi for an in-depth look at Fiorentina and then assess Italy and Roberto Mancini on Lega Football. Those are the sounds of the Renzo Barbera. The nightmare is over. The penalty converted by Matteo Brunori to send Palermo into Serie B. The Sicilians are back. This is the sound of the streets of the piazza around the Sicilian capital. It's the club song. Let's take you through it. Following a 2-0 aggregate win over Massimo Oddo's Padova, Silvio Baldini guided the Rosaneri to the Italian second division after a three-year absence. Matteo Brunori converted the 25th-minute penalty at the Stadio Renzo Barbera, which doubled Palermo's advantage following Roberto Floriano's first leg winner seven days earlier in Padova. On loan from Juventus, it was also Brunori's fourth strike of the Serie C playoffs, capping off a fairy tale week following his marriage just days before. The 27-year-old was substituted to a standing ovation with 10 minutes left. However, most of the credit should fall to Silvio Baldini, previously sacked by former Palermo president Maurizio Zamparini back in 2004. He returned 17 years later to mastermind a third-place finish in Girone C of Lega Pro and then to guide the Aquile seamlessly through the playoff phase. Palermo was transformed into a goal machine in 2022, tallying 52 goals since January to terrify opponents throughout the South, surrounded by the four walls of pink at Renzo Barbera on Sunday night. Francesco De Rose crushed Bianco Scudati hopes with a blend of psychological warfare in midfield, while Floriano and Nicola Valente unleashed their daunting high press. Antonio Donnarumma was constantly called into action for the Padovani to thwart the Rosanero attack and keep the scoreline down, while some Samuele Masolo in the Palermo goal barely had to make a save. Padova ended the match with nine players following Ronaldo's high challenge in the 56th minute while Carlo Pelegatti picked up a yellow either side of the break. Despite finishing in 11th place in 2019, the Siciliani declared bankruptcy. Palermo FC subsequently restarted from Serie D and worked its way back up to delight fans across the fifth largest city in Italy. Promoted to Serie A back in 2004 with Luca Toni leading the way, Palermo competed in 12 top flight seasons between 2004 and 2017 and finished as high as fifth on three occasions while fielding high caliber footballers such as Fabrizio Micoli, Josip Ilicic, Javier Pastore, Paolo Dybala and Edinson Cavani. Palermo now victorious in the very last professional game of culture for 2021-22. They join Modena, Sutirol and Bari in Serie B for the 2022-23 campaign, while Pordenone, Alessandria, Vicenza and Crotone all make way. Promotion will most probably accelerate negotiations for the transfer of ownership. Coming weeks will be decisive. For now, Palermo FC and its city will indulge as chatter over an immediate return to Serie A echoes across the piazza. Joining me to talk more Palermo is Matteo of Palermo SC underscore UK. That's the profile name on Twitter. The Palermo community is coming together. This is the first time since 2019 that Palermo will play in Serie B. Matteo, how proud are you of your role? 
Rosaneri. This has been an amazing week for us as Palermo fans. I think we're all extremely proud of the team, the performances that they've put in. A few months ago, who would have thought that we would have been able to, to get this promotion? It didn't seem possible. We were in the playoff spots. We managed to obviously finish the season on a high. I think one of the most interesting things was when the board actually said to the players, I don't know if everyone's seen this, that the board said, we will get you a plane to every match that you're going to, but if you lose, you'll pay the difference. So they started the season off by going to matches via coach. You know, results were okay. But as soon as they were told that they would go to matches via plane and they'd pay the difference if they lost, the results started to go our way. Dangle the carrot. Yeah, yeah. So they really, they really, you know, motivated them. I think it was a really good, innovative idea from the board. I mean, extremely, extremely proud. I just wish I could have been out there. I've got friends, family all out there. The celebration seemed seemed immense, seemed amazing. The city came together, you know. The scenes were amazing. The sea of pink. Yeah. The city was awash. The celebrations ran into the night. I know on Rai, they were interviewing just random people on the, on the streets. Yeah. A jubilation yeah. everywhere. Just an immense occasion for Palermo and their city, second division. What were your thoughts on the final? I mean, the first leg was actually quite... Uh, quite a hairy first leg to be honest with you I mean but the team did well to come away with a, with a good 1-0 result with the win but you know the match was really end to end and I don't know if you saw the uh, Marconi clearance off the goal line which saved the goal key moment these are the moments that win you games these are the moments that get you promoted obviously now that we've seen from Marconi yeah no it was an amazing amazing clearance and a lot of chances our defence played well Masola played well in goal and I have to mention the support at that match over 3,000 travelling fans from Palermo to Padova is uh, you know a long way to go more than 3,000 made the journey and uh, yeah, then the second leg, unbiased. I really thought we played amazingly. The performance was absolutely fantastic. It never looked in doubt, to be honest with you. Padova had a few chances, but I really think we dominated the match. Matteo Brunari scored. Great, great player he is, obviously. Fabulous conversion, sending Donnarumma the other way. And before that, we saw Brunori taking on the last offender. He had that shot on his left foot to draw Donnarumma into a save at the near post. It was all going Palermo's way. Yeah, Brunori was causing havoc. I mean, I know Palermo fans are in love with him. I've seen Palermo fans wanting to get tattoos of his face. He's been a game changer for our club this season and I really hope that he will be able to stay. In June, his contract's up, but we'll see if he joins Palermo in Serie B. You would think that the club would make a bid for him. He has played for the Juventus under 23s, contracted to Juventus until 2024. There were four pink walls at the Renzo Barbera on Sunday. And as we've already spoken about, the city is in the midst of a pink party. Is there a sense of relief given that the club went bankrupt just three years ago, but now they've earned two promotions since winning Serie D in 2020? Obviously been uh, a difficult few years for, for us as Palermo fans and everyone associated with the club. You see by the celebrations, you know, the relief and the excitement of, of finally, you know, we're on the path back to where we belong in Serie A. Serie D is obviously, we started there when we went bankrupt. We did well to get promoted and then we were obviously finished seventh last season in Serie C. We were wondering what was going to happen, whether we were going to be able to fight for promotion this season. 
we did well in our season, but no one would have thought we were going to win the playoffs, especially against teams like Padova, who finished almost 20 points ahead of us in, in their respective groups. So I think it definitely is, is a sense of relief. We as a club, we know what it's like to go bankrupt now, and it's not a nice feeling, you know, especially with with what's happened to Catania and Messina. Yeah, well, Sicilian football has been on the ropes for a few years now. Yeah. The demise of especially the Eastern Coast clubs. And we've seen Dario Miri, the Palermo chairman, he stated that he felt the responsibility of that mission to get Palermo back into Serie A. Do you think he's done well in his three years at this club? Is it time to bring in big money and put Palermo back on the Serie A map? Yeah, so I mean, this is quite, I think, a contentious subject uh, among some fans. But I think personally, I mean, during Milly's tenure, overall, he's been a good president. He's brought us back up to Serie B. But some fans, you know, they weren't happy with the stagnation of staying in Serie C for two seasons. Some fans had hoped that, you know, he'd invested a bit more of his money. With the result that he's just had, with the promotion that he's just helped us to gain, I think it would be a good idea for him to, to step aside. He'll be remembered positively and allow for someone with deeper pockets to arrive who can get us to Serie A more quickly or more easily. I think a lot of fans are undecided. There's obviously contention with, with who's going to come in. City Group, Sheikh Mansour or Palotta, two groups who are slightly, again, controversial. Some fans, they don't want City Group to come and take the soul away from our club. Some people want Sicilians, Italians to, to you know keep our club with its you know roots and its history and, and complete the journey, like you say. But others, they want the money, they want the injection. If City Group were to take over, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we've become the, the the richest club in Italy. A little bit of spare change for the City Group. Uh, I've seen some of some of the figures and some of the negotiations. I think some sources are saying that it's it's close to being done. Others are saying that Palotta's come in and, and he wants he's going to fight for it as well. I think for Palotta, he's also a, a controversial figure. I mean, I've seen with Roma fans, well, some are happy, some are not too happy with his tenure. Although he had some successes, he, he, he sold players, made some profits. You know, people weren't happy that he was selling their best players. Some Palermo fans. Are I think are scared that he'd come to Palermo and do the same, sell some of our best players. Is there a particular player you'd like to see for Palermo in 2022-23? We've briefly spoken about Bruno Hori, obviously. You know, 29 goals, I think, this season. For a period, he was the top scorer in all of Europe's leagues in 2022, better than Ronaldo and Messi. He really is something special. So to be able to keep hold of him would be really, really important. And uh, and what a season he's had. He, he played the previous season at Entella and only scored a handful of goals. Yeah. And the, the transformation in Sicily... For Brunori, for those of you who don't know, Brunori is one of those Brazilian Italians that bring that little bit of South American flair to Italian football. I think all Palermo fans, whether it's uh, realistic or not, we are hoping for the return of Pastora. He's uh, at Elche at the moment in Spain. He has a, a Rosanero heart, I believe. I really think that, that he loves Palermo. He loves the city, he loves the club, he loves the fans. With our club on the up as it is, if an offer were to go on the table, he'd have a think about it, to say the least. There's concerns over the injury history of Pastore. Do you think he could play out a full season? I mean, Serie B is a fairly physical league. There's some big clubs that are coming in, such as your Venezia's and Genoa's, Parma's there, Spal. These are heavy hitting sides. We know Pastore has the technical quality. The question mark has to hang over whether he has the longevity in his legs. Serie B is obviously one of one of the more 
the more physical leagues. And as you say, the ZAB next season is going to be quite a spectacle with, with these big, big names, like you say. But they're calling it Serie A Due. Yeah, I think it really is this season. It's amazing to see all these massive clubs, massive cities represented in the league. And maybe, perhaps you're right, maybe maybe it is just a, a romance that, that wouldn't work out. But I think... Well, it might be a good romance, not necessarily a poor choice, in my opinion. I'm just playing devil's advocate with that one. But yeah, yeah. some of the players that are there already doing a great job, Valente, Floriano, yeah. De Rosa in midfield. You've got Marconi with that spectacular clearance off the line and, you know, but he's also in his 30s now. Accardi is there in the squad but is injury prone. Obviously, there will be some signings coming to compete in Serie B, especially considering, as you said, it's a Serie C club with a Serie C roster. You have some of these players like Federico Gatti or Frosinone, and now Italy, who have to work part-time jobs to supplement their income because th- this is where football is at. Serie C is 60 clubs across three groups, and Serie B is a big, big step up. There's probably more of a leap now from Serie C to Serie B than from Serie B to Serie A, yeah. especially Sud Tirol coming up now as, as well in Serie B. It's a huge leap. Sutirol's never even played in Serie B before. We're going to need some big quality signings for this for this jump from Cerici to Serie B. Pastore could be to Palermo what Franco Vasquez is to Parma. He exactly. came back from the Spanish league and he has, uh, you know, been had blistering form. Some of the goals that he scored for the Jalo Blue this season. Yeah, and obviously Franco Vasquez with his history in Palermo. How great would that be to see him come back? I mean, he's had such such good time at Parma. I doubt he's going to be coming back. Yeah, well, there's a big history. Josip Ilicic is uh, moving on from Atalanta more than likely. So we could even see the, that former Palermitano head back at some stage, maybe not in Serie B, but, you know, he's getting on a little bit. Edinson Cavani would be another name that would be romanticised yeah. a little yeah, bit. His yeah, wages yeah. will probably be more than what the club's worth at the moment. You know, it's also dependent on, on, on the takeover. You would, you would expect the budget to increase and then maybe we could talk about some bigger bigger names I guess we're going to see it's almost the unknown for our club now obviously with so much change and and um, obviously all the other clubs were, were winners of their respective groups in Serechi and we kind of the wild card to come through the playoffs Wild card is the correct description because Palermo is just the third team after Cosenza and Pisa to win promotion to Serie B starting from a lower ranked position in their group. And that's how the playoff structure works in Italy in the third and second divisions. But Palermo with 660,000 people, the fifth largest city in Italy behind Rome, Milan, Napoli and Torino. They're back in Serie B. We've seen clubs that are much, much smaller, even Udine, Uh, with their club Udinese, their 48th uh, largest city in Italy with just 100,000 people. Benevento at 108th. Cremona, they had their team Cremonese back in Serie A. They're the 81st largest town in Italy with 72,000. Palermo is much, much bigger, much more support. We're going to see them at least contest this next Serie B season. Whether they can make the playoffs is another story. It's a tough challenge. It's going to be a very even league and we know that even the the top teams are quaking in their boots in the likes of uh, Pisa and Brescia who just missed out this season on promotion then the three that came down we're going to see Sardegna up against Sicily as well that's (laughs) going to be immense Renzo Barbera they're going to host 19 home games against some of the nation's best provincial clubs 
You've started the Playmore Supporters UK Twitter profile. We would love to know what inspired you to do so. So it was a bit of a of a spontaneous spontaneous idea i just spent two weeks in palermo i think a month ago or so and i went to a couple of the playoff matches i went to see antella palermo at the barbera and i also saw peral pisallo against palermo and uh, i came back to london and i wanted to go and watch the playoff final with with some other palermo fans and, and i was looking trying to find a palermo supporters club in in london or in the uk unfortunately i, I couldn't find one so i thought well well, it's my duty now to get it started, to get it going. Two weeks ago to the day, I launched this uh, Twitter account. Pretty quickly, the community is, is growing very quickly. It's been really fun. I, I tried to keep the community together and, and hopefully in future we'll be, be able to do events together, you know, watch games together, whether it even be trips to the Barbera. Hopefully these kinds of things will uh, will happen again. I mean, I started going to the Barbera. My first match was 2009, Palermo-Santoria, 2-2. I think it was then that I, I fell in love with the Barbera. I mean, I, I really love the stadium. It, it is an amazing, amazing stadium. I think people have seen the videos from, from, from this weekend. The app atmosphere and, and the stadium everything about about the club really really is special hopefully we, we can continue to grow and, and find more Palermo supporters across the UK uh, try and bring them together and who knows from there I mean you've taken responsibility you've seen that there was an occasion to bring people together you've taken the step forward and you're trying to drive this community together what do you rate Palermo as a weekender to maybe head down for a game and maybe spend three four days I mean there's plenty of great places in and around Palermo as well you could make it a uh, footballing holiday I've already had quite a few messages on Twitter people asking when when is the trip getting arranged now that we're, we've been promoted to Serie B when are we going to be on the wonderful on the together on the trip I think there's definitely potential for, for a great weekend out there we'll wrap it up there it was so good to hear from a Palermo fan today we thank Matteo for joining us on Lega Football to talk about the Rosaneri's historical promotion back up into the second division they're on the rise Matteo from Palermo SC underscore UK on Twitter and also on Instagram Matteo thanks for joining us thank you very much for having me thank you Next, we talk with Anthony from Sicilian Football. He's based in Australia, but has his social media platforms focusing on all levels of Sicilian culture. Now, he's got a side in Serie B to tweet about. We'll go into some of the match events from Sunday night, Silvio Baldini's tenure and Palermo's inevitable return to Serie A. Joining Lega Football to discuss the Sicilian success from Sunday night, Anthony Babagallo of Sicilian Football at Sicilian Calcio is the hashtag on Twitter. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure and what a time to have you on. Palermo are there. They're back after three years of being down to Serie D. They promoted themselves to Serie C again. And now it's Serie B. What were your thoughts on the game? For the fans to witness their club coming and rising from the ashes after the Serie D is a really good start. In the game, I think Padova didn't have anything in attack that really threatened the Rossonero throughout the two legs. It was that one header. I think it was Saber, which he headed it straight into the ground, bounced over the bar. Masolo wasn't really kept busy. Donnarumma was. He was very busy. His save from Floriano and the Luperini header. 
the sending off of Ronaldo came later than the sending off of Pelegatti. What did you think of Matteo Brunori converting that penalty from the Pelegatti handball? Yeah, you just knew as soon as Brunori put that ball in, you could tell that was Palermo going up. The wave of pink yeah, as well. Yeah, it just reinforced that 1-0 lead they had and it just it just made it too difficult for Palermo to come back. Brunori, he had a fantastic season. 29 goals, amazing stuff. Baldini, the coach, he came around just after they played and lost to Catania in the derby and that's when they lost 2-0. Palermo were very lifeless at that time. For Baldini to come in and just take them on this amazing run, I think they didn't lose a game and think it was since February. They did it by beating Triestina, Virtus Antella and then Feral Pisallo and then a really hard Badova who people were saying it was the favourite. And Well, they were. Absolutely they were. The season yeah. that Padova had finishing second to the record-breaking FC Sudtirol who had the best record yeah. in Europe, Sudtirol. Padova only just finished second to them. They were the favourite. Yeah, I think Padova, they were really drained from the season. Entering at a later state, like at the latest stage of the playoffs, it can also be a disadvantage for some teams. Yeah, Palermo took advantage of it. You could tell they looked like a Serie B team already at that time. Two years without any Sicilian representation in Serie B. In your opinion, is this Palermo side the real deal? I think they are the real deal, yes. They're going to have a massive transfer market, I think. And if the Football City Group takes over... I think the project to Serie A will accelerate. And, and also James Palotta was uh, one name linked with a possible takeover of Palermo. Now, I really do think Palermo, they will get to Serie A fairly quickly if Football City Group takes over. So we've seen players like Giron do a job at left back for Palermo. We've seen De Rosa captain the side in the playoff final. He's got them up to Serie B along with Silvio Baldini, Luperini and Valente and Floriano. They look vibrant in attack as well. Brunori with 29 goals for the season. In your opinion, Anthony, where do you think the squad will improve over the summer? Is there a particular area of the side that they should reinforce? Bolstering that midfield up just a tad more. Maybe just bolster the centre-backs as well. I mean, I think Andrea Cardi, he just needs to build on a bit more consistencies. If you look at the football they played this season, more in the second half of the season and in the playoffs, I think they could have challenged at least a dozen of the teams in Serie B, really. Sure, yeah, they did show signs of some really promising football, especially in the last three or four months leading up to the playoffs. Yeah, as you were saying with Andrea Accardi, he's one of those players that needs to provide that backup. He was at Palermo when they were at the top. He went down when they went down. Yes, yeah, so when Palermo were bankrupt in 2019 and they were in Serie B, they went down to Serie D and restarted the club and Accardi went with them. You know, obviously Palermidano himself, he really stuck with the club in, you know, dark times and it's such a good satisfaction, you know, when you, you stick with them and then you achieve something big like this. But he is a player that's played in Serie B before as well. So he's got leadership skills as well, you know. So we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining Lego Football, Anthony Barbagallo of Sicilian Football. You can find him at Sicilian Calcio on Twitter. And would you like to tell the listeners where to find you on the other platforms? Yeah, thank you, David. Yes, they can find us on Instagram and that's Sicilian Football Official. 
And on Facebook, Sicilian Football. Perfect having you on. We're going to have Anthony back on in the future to talk more Sicilian football. Palermo are back in Serie B. Sicily's represented in the top two divisions. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me on. And uh, Forza Italia, Forza Sicilia. Anthony Babregallo will be back to talk about other Sicilian clubs and where the island is right now in terms of their third and fourth division clubs. Join us next week for that one. Fiorentina's amazing season ended with qualification for Europe and to take us through that, here's Giancarlo Rinaldi. Hello and welcome to Lego Football Podcast. Okay, on the show today, we have a writer from Football Italia, also has his own podcast now, it's called Rigore. Giancarlo Rinaldi joins me. Giancarlo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. An experienced Fiorentina expert, in my opinion. You've got to be happy with this season. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, after a number of disappointing seasons, this is actually been a season to smile about and sneaked back into Europe on the on the final day as well. So you know, that was the cherry on the cake really, you know, the, the football was a lot brighter and and getting into Europe after a number of years away was what I think a lot of Fiorentina fans thought they might never get back into Europe the way they were playing. So yeah, no, it's been a, a positive season all round. You wrote an article back in October which I want to talk about and you wrote about how Fiorentina evolved in the first few months in transition from the Iacchini to Prandelli back to Iacchini era then to Italiano the previous five seasons were poor in your opinion well most people's opinion let's be honest and it went from May una gioia to Ciancora Speranza again and now there is hope under Iacchini you felt they still had good players but they were just very predictable and very slow it meant that no matter how good you were the opposition were already in position and could cope with what you had to throw at them whereas under Italiano suddenly there was a there was a greater degree of urgency there was definitely a higher demand on the players but you know he did make an immediate impact there's no doubt that you know for Fiorentina fans this was like sort of taking blinkers off and seeing the sun again because they actually produced some football that was that was worth watching and took a few scalps in the in the early rounds of the, of the season um, and you know that's so there was definitely a feeling that there was reason to be cheerful under Italiano as opposed to the kind of more grim fear that we were we were used to under Iacchini. Getting Italiano in was the big win. He transformed the team from battling for draws, as you write about, to playing some of the most entertaining football in the division. The club record signing Nico Gonzalez, he showed promise early and was a consistent performer. And you wrote about the way he was able to reintegrate Duncan Sotil and Amrabat. Perhaps this has something to do with Italiano's experience at Spezia, having to make do with what he's got and bring the best out of those players, as opposed to managers like Simone Inzaghi or Max Allegri, you know, your inter-Juventus coaches who simply request big signings for big money. Absolutely, yeah, no, I, I think that was the thing. Throughout the course of the season, I thought he was able to get a tune out of players that had previously looked like a a disaster area really you know I mean Cristiano Biraghi as well fullback was one that you know a lot of Fiorentina fans couldn't wait to see the back of him and yet there he was 
I mean, you'll remember there was a spell where every free kick he took ended up in the back of the net. It was absolutely astounding. And he, he took the, the sort of raw materials he had. And, and, you know, there were some good, obviously, the first half of the season he had he had Dusan Vlaovic, but there were others there that, you know, weren't so weren't so heralded. And yet he managed to kind of mould them into, into a strong unit. And, and you players that we probably lost hope for suddenly started to look quite decent again I, I would say especially at the end of the season Amrabat in, in particular but yeah right Sotil as well was another one that Fiorentina fans couldn't stand his, his end product was uh, was pretty terrible and it, you know it's still not perfect but you know he, he seemed to have a happy knack of picking the right player for the right occasion um, and, and that's obviously it didn't get right all the time there were some terrible setbacks so you know you have to you have to give credit a coach can do that then I think he's he's definitely doing a good job and I think that's the kind of coach that Fiorentina need because you're probably not going to get well you're definitely not going to get the biggest names in the world so you have to be doing something special either with you know old stagers who maybe other clubs think they're past it or new faces that are just um, carving out their kind of place in Serie A and, and he's shown himself pretty consistently to be to be very good at that. I think we both agree Italiano isn't afraid to mix things up the stats show just seven players appeared in more than 30 games this season as opposed to 10 under Prandelli and Iacchini. They struggled to get results. Uh, I did a lot of Spezia games two seasons ago in, in Italiano's first spell in Serie A and the way he was able to harness some of the energy from these young players like your Agudelos or your Giazis. I think he's brought that over to Fiorentina and he's been able to some of the uh, powers from the likes of Sotil at times. Even Caleon has a second lease of life under Italiano as opposed to Iacchini. You question whether Fiorentina would be able to sustain their beginning to the campaign. Conference League have qualified for that. They finished with 62 points. They defeated the old enemy Juventus in the final match of the season. That is another win. Obviously, there's room to improve, but they had three three-game winning streaks this season. Huge improvement on the previous. They were all tough as well. The first one was against Torino, Atalanta and Genoa, all by scorelines of 2-1. They then defeated Sampdoria 3-1, Bologna away 3-2, and then Salernitana 4-0 in another three-game winning streak. The third was a win over Empoli in the derby, then the win at the Maradona over Napoli 3-2, which I watched that game and I think it was possibly their best performance apart from the thrashing of Genoa. Then a hard-fought battle over Venezia, how did your cousin Marco find that one? <laughs> that was, did you watch that? Did you watch that together? No, we didn't watch it together. We don't, we don't live in the same town, but um, we we traded insults over over uh, messages throughout the throughout the game. Um, I, I think he, even even Marco had to accept that, that it, I called it a one 0 thrashing because because Venezia <laughs> barely got out of their half in that game. It was a domination. Just to give some people context, Marco is Giancarlo's cousin. He's uh, the world's biggest Venezia fan. He does the pod Rigore with Giancarlo. Going into the last round, Fiorentina sat in seventh position, equal on 59 points with Atalanta. Atalanta had a home game against Empoli coming up and Fiorentina had to beat a team that's in the top four. And it's also a team that you sold your best player to in January. 
you need to beat them after coming off a 4-1 loss against Sampdoria and Atalanta just have to get over the line against Empoli. What were your thoughts going into that? The only thing that gave me cause for optimism was having watched Juventus in the previous weeks. It, it, it looked a bit like uh, the Bianconeri had started their summer holidays early as soon as they got that fourth place in the bag, which you know was the bare minimum for, for Juventus to be achieving. And then they started to give space to younger players and you know they, they definitely weren't playing with the same intensity I mean you remember it, it wasn't so long back in the season that they were still outside shots for the Scudetto because you know all the top teams kept slipping up and, and not getting the points but as soon as they were kind of knocked out of contention it was almost like that knocked the stuffing out of them and they were quite flat so that did give me that did give me some hope Empoli despite Despite the heroics of their goalkeeper, you thought, well, eventually Atalanta will find a way through, and you know that that news is going to filter through, and and that's going to put even more pressure on Fiorentina against Juve. As a veteran watcher of Italian football, um, I knew that sometimes in the final games of the season you get results that surprise you especially when a team that's still got something to fight for plays against a, a team that no longer has anything to fight for precisely and so that was really you know that was really what what gave me some optimism against because it was a curious it was a curious game against you it didn't quite have the the poisonous edge that it, to me anyway it didn't feel like it had quite the poisonous edge that normally clashes with Juventus had it was it was almost as if Juve were going through the motions and once they did go behind really their even their reaction to it was was quite was quite flat and not to say that Fiorentina didn't deserve the win and didn't, they did go for it and they did have a lot of uh, a lot of possession but equally you know that's happened before and they've lost games um, but it was it was great I think to to go out and get you know a, at least some um, recognition, it's achieve something with your season and get into Europe and and to do it against the, the team that you dislike the most was was certainly a was certainly a pleasant experience and you know the Fiorentina fans were certainly delighted to put one over the old enemy to get a European place back was 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 quite a delight. Fiorentina are back. Giancarlo Rinaldi, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. You can find Giancarlo at at Jinkers on Twitter. You can also read more of what Giancarlo's writing at Football Italia. And for the full interview with Giancarlo Rinaldi regarding Fiorentina's season, that will be going live to all the Lega football platforms. And on to international news. I'll read this Azzurini report straight off the Football Italia website. Italy has qualified for the 2023 European Under-21 Championship group phase after sweeping the Republic of Ireland aside 4-1 to consolidate top spot in the group. Both teams were guaranteed at least the playoffs, but the Azzurini U just the one point would be enough to secure top spot in the group and therefore automatic qualification to the group phase in Romania and Georgia is achieved for June 2023. The first goal came courtesy of a penalty from a corner. Mark McGuinness hauled down Kale Bocoli 
with arms around his neck and shoulders, Genoa and future Juventus midfielder Nicolo Rovella converted to put Italy in front. Cambiaghi, he made it 2-0 with a splendid strike from outside the box that bounced right in front of the goalkeeper. He flapped at it as it flew into the near bottom corner. Pellegri had got the third from close range after defenders and goalkeeper completely failed to deal with Cambiaghi's run. That made it 3-0, Ireland's goal. Mattia Viti, a nightmare couple of minutes for the Empoli defender. First turning a free header over, then completely mistiming a tackle to bring down William Smallbone for the penalty converted by Connor Coventry. And Fabio Quagliata, he celebrated his first goal at under-21 level. His cheeky dummy, wrong-footing defenders in the box. It was the first time in this two-year cycle that Italy scored four goals. So some good news there for the under-21 Italian side that are doing uh, remarkable things under Paolo Nicolato. Paolo Nicolato has also hailed Roberto Mancini in the past couple of weeks after Mancini decided to bring in the younger players. But Italy has lost the fourth UEFA Nations League game against the plucky Germany team, 5-2 in Moench and Gladbach. But it's not all bad news as Italy hit back with two late goals. And if you really want to think about it, when you combine the Azzurini and the senior side total, it's a 6-6 draw for the day. But uh, jokes aside, while it's the first time since 1957, a friendly match against the former Yugoslavia, that Italy has conceded more than four goals in a game. Wilfred Nyonto became the youngest ever player to score for Italy at 18 years, seven months and nine days. So some good news there for the senior Italian side. It was Kimmich and Gundogan who had the hosts up 2-0 at the break. Muller made it 3-0. Werner got a brace to extend it to 5 before Nyonto and Bastoni made it more respectable at the end of the game. Before Nyonto tapped home for 5-1, the title of youngest scorer in Italian history belonged to Bruno Nicole, who in 1958 scored against France at the age of 18 years, 8 months and 16 days. That's a month and seven days more than Nyonto. Nicola's adventure with Italy ended with just eight appearances. The hope is that Nyonto will instead become a regular of this Italian national side. But let's give this game some context. As the Gazzetto dello Sport says, Roberto Mancini would be born seven years after that loss to Yugoslavia back in 1957. And Presidente Gravina was just three years old at the time. The game would have been followed on the radio. That's how long ago that was. Now I'm going to address Italy and the concerns that some people are having. It's difficult to keep your shape and composure as a young, inexperienced team, but the Italy of tomorrow must be constructed today. Confidence has to come naturally to those who need time to emerge or become great again. And Germany, they were ruthless in front of goal. Italy, not so much. They had their chances. Neuer was fantastic in the German goal. But this was the first time that Germany beat Italy in a three-point match in the history of football. It's a Nations League tie, a game where Mancini is debuting new faces. There were nine changes to this team. The last time they played, there were 10 changes to the Italian team. How much do UEFA Nations League games really count? Would Mancini send this squad to contest a Euro or a World Cup tournament? He simply wouldn't. There's also been such a knee-jerk reaction by the media and pundits over this result. I'd suspect it's more about pride than the result itself. If Italy had performed as poorly but ground out a 1-1 draw against a less clinical German side, then the media would be happy. 
pundits would be ecstatic that Italy got away with performing like this, but the scoreline wasn't as embarrassing. But it's Germany and Italy is used to being on top of Germany. We have that superiority complex. Italy also gets past Germany, but now Italy has lost. But this was a Nations League game. Does anyone really care about the Nations League? How many Nations League titles go onto the national team shirt? The media cry out for young blood in the national team setup. Then when that goes wrong and Italy lose one game in four against a big nation that's won four World Cups in Germany, it's the calcio apocalypse. Why is Mancini doing this? Well, most players need time off to rest and younger unproven footballers will naturally stick around in the summer as they're more likely not to be married or have children or have niggling injuries as an older player like Bonucci might have. These games are an opportunity for Mancini to tinker with his formation and variations in the lineup. And there was a huge outcry after Italy failed to qualify for Qatar to bring in younger players. Mancini even stated after the 5-2 loss to Germany that he expected to lose this badly earlier. He knew what he was doing. He knew that he'd be under scrutiny if a scoreline like this emerged. Nobody likes to lose, Mancini said, especially not 5-2. But unfortunately, this is a process where things can go wrong. And in transition, sometimes things do go wrong. Things don't go to plan. Coaches, when trying to transform a young side, they come across speed bumps and every now and then encounter roadblocks. And the game against Germany was one of those. Mancini is making a large number of changes from one game to the next against high-profile nations like Germany and England, while Hungary is in red-hot form. Germany is preparing for a genuine shot at a World Cup. Italy is preparing for the future. And to uncover precious medals, it's more likely you have to dig around in the dark. And that's what Italy has used the UEFA Nations League for. So that's where Italy is right now. It's mid-June, it's hot in Europe. Germany and England are going to the World Cup. Italy and Hungary are not. Germany and England are two of the favorites to win the World Cup. Hungary defeated England 4-0 away this week. Does that mean Hungary would beat all the other favorites easily in a World Cup? That's not how football works. There are 32 nations at this World Cup, including the likes of the Korean Republic, Costa Rica, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Canada, and Qatar. Does that mean that Italy lacks the quality of those teams? If you transplanted one of those sides into Euro 2020, would they have won the championship? There are 13 other European countries at this World Cup in 2022, and none of those teams won the Euro championship. Italy did. And to win tournaments, it's all about timing. And this is where Roberto Mancini is right now. Do you really think that he'd be playing the kids or Serie B players in preparation for a crack at this World Cup? He's preparing for the defense of the title that Italy holds as champions of Europe. And on that note, Lega Football leaves you with the Italian national anthem live from Wembley.
you'd like to see the vision of that national anthem, head over to the LEGO Football YouTube page and also check out our articles online on Substack and we'll link those in on our Twitter page at LEGO Football. I'd like to thank Matteo Gibbs of Palermo Supporters UK, Anthony Barbagallo of Sicilian Football and Giancarlo Rinaldi. This is LEGO Football.